Hello, and welcome to our eighth Bible study in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been teaching us what kinds of people he wants us to be. He's taught us new attitudes to have within our own hearts. He's taught us new attitudes to God's law. He taught us how religious private things should be kept private, like giving and praying and fasting. And he warned us about having two treasures, two eyes, two slave masters and two priorities and told us we must make God, the kingdom of God and seeking his righteousness, our main priority over the making of money. In chapter 7, he goes on to tell the disciples how much they ought to love one another. Verses 1 to 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If we're loving one another, we won't be going around criticising and judging one another. Now, Jesus had been a carpenter, certainly from the age of 13, probably up to the age of 30. He knew how to fell a tree. He knew how to saw a tree trunk into planks. So Jesus knew what it was like to get sawdust in his eye. And he didn't want somebody with a large piece of sawdust in their eye trying to remove the sawdust from his eye. In fact, the picture he here draws is even more bizarre. He says, I don't want somebody with a great plank in their eye trying to get out a small piece of sawdust from my eye any more than we would ask a blind optician to operate on our eyes. It would be ludicrous. So Jesus is saying, don't criticise others. Because when you do so, most likely there are faults in yourself which are just as great or maybe greater. That picture of the man with the, the lump of wood trying to heal your eye would be captured beautifully by Matt in one of his Daily Telegraph cartoons. If only he would do it, I think it would make us all laugh. Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now in those days, in courts, there were no juries. The judge looked at the facts of the case. The judge decided guilty or not guilty. The judge imposed a penalty. Jesus says, don't do those things. Don't think you can look at the facts of the case. Don't think you can decide on whether somebody is guilty or how guilty they are. Don't you think to yourself how much they deserve. Don't behave like that towards one another. Don't sit in judgment on each other. Don't decide how guilty your neighbour is. Don't condemn someone. Leave that to God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, as we cannot judge properly, we must not try to do it at all. Have you ever felt rather pleased at someone else's slip-up? Have you ever had a sense of pleasure that somebody else has fallen? Have you ever imputed bad motives to someone who's done something rather well? Have you ever expressed an opinion on someone 
without knowing all the facts. I'm sure we've all done it because this judgmental spirit is an aspect of our fallen nature. Criticism stems from a self-righteous spirit. Judging others stems from the hypocrisy which is inside us all. Remember, Jesus had said, God blesses the meek. Remember, the meek means the gentle, the humble, the kind. Gentle, humble, kind people. They won't be pointing the finger and judging you and condemning you and gossiping about you behind your back. Nevertheless, although we're not to judge one another, we do have to be discriminating. Look at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample they, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. We have to be discriminating. Paul in Thessalonians told us, test everything, hold on to the good. No one in their right mind would give sacrificed meat to pariah dogs. No one in their right mind would give pearls to pigs as if they were a bag of nuts. So Jesus says, you are not to behave like judges, but you're not to behave like simpletons either. If somebody's dogged in persistently rejecting Jesus, if somebody's pig-headed about the gospel and absolutely refuses to believe, don't be a religious bore, don't get your big black Bible and bash them over the head all the time. Elsewhere, Jesus said, shake the dust off your feet and go elsewhere. Sometimes you have to leave the gospel with the person you've tried to persuade and leave the Holy Spirit to do his work and move on to somebody else. Rather than judging others and condemning others and sneering at others, Jesus says we should be praying for others. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who who ask him. Jesus says, you're all sinful people and, and you're faulty parents, but if your child asks you for a sandwich, you won't put a, a lump of stone uh, between two pieces of bread and say, there's your sandwich. Uh, if they ask for a fish finger, you wouldn't give them the, the tail of a snake. He says, the Heavenly Father wants to answer your prayers like a good parent. And Jesus, sorry, Luke records two parables in which Jesus encouraged us to keep coming back to the Father time and time again to continue to pray. Because those first words in verse 7 are translated by the New Living Translation, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. The two parables. There was a man and he lived in a Palestinian home which had no windows and had one door. And at the end of the one-roomed house, there was a platform. And the family slept there. And the family were fast asleep. On the ground floor, the animals had been brought in. The animals which they kept. 
they were quiet and sleepy as well. And suddenly, a knocking on the door, and he's disturbed. And man rolls over and thinks, oh, I hope he goes away. I hope he doesn't awake the animals. I hope he doesn't wake the children. But the man outside keeps knocking again and again and again. Eventually, the man gets up, goes to the door, and the man outside says, I've got a visitor and I've got no food. Can you lend me a loaf? And because the man kept on knocking, he kept on asking, he kept on seeking, he received his loaf of bread. The other story Jesus told was about a woman who, who just lost her husband and he'd left a few debts which she couldn't pay. And these debts were on interest and therefore the amount she was owing to others was growing and her debtors were, or, or rather the ones to whom she was in debt, they were knocking on her door wanting money, wanting payment. She couldn't pay and she went to the neighbouring judge. The neighbouring judge was of no interest at all. He just dismissed her, just a worthless widow. Why should he waste his time and his, and his uh, uh, legal expertise on this woman? Just go away and don't disturb me. But she kept going back and back and back until eventually the judge gave in and he made judgment in her favour. She got the judgment she asked for because she kept on coming back to ask. And that is how our prayers should be. We should go on asking, go on seeking, go on knocking. But of course, no sensible parent says yes to everything the child asks for. No sensible parent says no to everything the child asks for. Every sensible parent sometimes says wait for some of the things that are asked for. Now, if our prayers are being prayed with the right motive then our Lord, our Heavenly Father, will be more inclined to answer our prayers. Because if we are praying along the lines of the Lord's Prayer, we know we are praying along the lines of the will of God. Let me ask you, what is the first request in the Lord's Prayer? Oh, daily bread. No, no, that's not that one. And what about, um, may God's will be done on earth? No, that's not the one either. Um, Thy kingdom come? No, no, that's not the first request. The first request in the Lord's Prayer is, hallowed be thy name. In other words, Father, we're praying these prayers in order that you will be honoured, in order that you will be respected, in order that your name will be regarded highly rather than treated as something trashy. All our prayers should be for the glory of God. And Jesus said, your Father in heaven will give good things to those who ask him. So in our prayers, we go on asking, we go on seeking, we go on knocking, knowing that the good Father will answer our prayers, the prayers that are well motivated, the prayers which are motivated by the glory of God. So, in your relationships with others, in your love for one another, don't judge others. Don't bombard them with Bibles if they're pig-headed towards God. But don't give up praying for people either. Pray for people that in them God's glory may be seen. Pray for them that, that in them God's name will be honoured and hallowed. And remember there are two ways God can answer prayer, especially prayer for healing. We think 
that God will be greatly praised if God heals somebody miraculously. And thank God sometimes he does. And God is praised. But sometimes he doesn't. And think of the man Job in the Old Testament who went through so much loss, so much heartache, so much suffering, so much illness. And we're still praising God for that thousands of years later because we have his book and we know how he reacted. His book is in the Bible, in the book of Job. If we're going to love one another, let's behave towards them according to the golden rule. In verse 12, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Many English schools have lists of school rules which include this exhortation of Jesus. They don't realise, probably, that it came from Jesus, but many school rules say something like this, um, always treat others like you would like them to treat you. That is Jesus. That's what he said. Now, this golden rule can be found in other religions, in Buddhism, in Confucianism, in Hinduism, and also in Judaism. Around the time of the first century AD, there were two senior rabbis, One's name was Shammai, the other one was Hillel. And there was a Gentile who said he wanted to become a Jew. And he came to Shammai and he said, I will convert to Judaism if you can teach me the whole law while standing on one foot. And Shammai got a stick and drove him away. Go away, you stupid troublemaker. He's a time waster. I'm not going to spend my learning and expertise on you. And then the same Gentile put the same question to Hillel. I will convert to Judaism if you can teach me the whole law while standing on one foot. So Hillel stood on one leg and said, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. The rest is commentary. That's Jesus, isn't it? Well, not quite. Hillel's was negative. Don't do what you don't want them to do to you. Jesus is positive. Do do to others what you would like them to do to you. We think of God's law as being negative, but this golden rule is absolutely positive. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you're treating others as you would like them to treat you, you are loving your neighbour as yourself. And so now we're coming towards the conclusion of this sermon. And for the conclusion of the sermon, we might call the final verses choices. And we'll say more about that next time. But to start with, we come to a choice between two gates two roads, and two destinations. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now often we picture these two roads as being two roads that head off in two different directions. I'd rather us think them today as two roads which are parallel to one another and they are going to the same 
end. The same end is the judgment seat of Christ. We will all stand before God's judgment seat. Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Romans. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians. Then I saw a great white throne. The dead were judged according to what they had done. Revelation chapter 20. We are all, we are all heading towards judgment by Jesus Christ. But I'm suggesting the two roads are close to one another because you can get from the narrow road to the broad road far too easily. Sometimes you can deliberately step from the narrow road onto the broad road. Other times you slip. It's almost by accident. You think, oh no, I've done it again. And you were hardly, you were hardly aware of the fact you were close to grieving the Lord and sinning against him. The general confession of the Church of England expresses this beautifully. We have sinned against you and against our fellow men in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We have done what we ought not to have done and not done what we ought to have done. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there. When through negligence, through weakness or through our own deliberate choice, we fall into sin. We put our foot across that boundary onto the broad road. Because temptations are nice. Temptations are tasty. We never get test tested by Brussels sprouts. We're always tested by something pleasant, something nice, something you can look forward to. That's the nature of sin. And every day we have to choose to remain on the narrow road. There are two roads. And there are two destinations, life or destruction. Once we come to that great white judgment seat of Christ, we will be separated for life or for destruction. And the gate that leads to life is narrow from the outset. Think of it as a turnstile. Uh, I remember turnstiles in swimming pools, the height of a person, and you can only squeeze through one person at a time. Maybe it's the same at football matches today. Only one person can get through at a time. You can't go through as a crowd. And there's no room for baggage. There's no room to squeeze through a bit of fear of your own possessions. You go through on your own, alone. And so it is when we come to the cross. So it is when we come to Christ for the first time. And we step through the narrow gates onto the narrow road. We have to do it individually for ourselves and we have to leave behind all the sins that we used to enjoy. And I know it's easier said than done, but we have to repent. Martin Luther described repentance this way. He said, the truest repentance is to do it no more. And so when we come to the cross and step out on that narrow road, we have to leave, us, leave to one side all the old life and by the grace of God live the new life in Christ as we walk on the narrow road. Let me tell you a parable. I want you to imagine a wealthy man who lived in Monaco. I think Monaco is that place where the, the roads towards the summit of the, of the, the, of the hill or mountain are very narrow and there's a precipice by the side of the road. And you have to be very skillful to drive along those roads. And this wealthy man wanted to appoint 
a new driver for himself. And two racing drivers, retired racing drivers, Formula One drivers, applied for the job. And driver number one came in, and the wealthy man said to him, now, sir, he said, well, if you're driving along those narrow, precipitous roads, how near to the edge can you get and still be perfectly safe? And driver number one said, I can get you within six inches of the edge of the road and you'll be as safe as houses. You won't need to bat an eyelid. The second driver came in and was asked the same question. How near to the edge of the road? How near to the precipice could you drive and still be perfectly safe? And the second driver said, I wouldn't even try, he said. I'd hug the edge. I, I, I'd hug the, the, the cliff side, the, 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 the firm side, where this, which gives me more room. And of course, it was the second driver, the safe driver, who wouldn't even risk going near to the precipice to fall. It was he who got the job. And as we walk on the narrow road, how often we walk close to the edge, close, as close as we can get to the broad way, and sometimes through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault, we step onto that broad road and we sin. And we have to come back in repentance and apologise to Christ and come to his cross and ask for another cleansing in his blood and again to repent and to seek to never do it again. So Jesus is bringing this sermon to a close. He's telling us not to bring judgment on others, not to poke the finger, not to gossip, not to put others down by what we say about them or think about them. He says, don't be indiscriminate with holy things. If you're sharing the gospel with somebody and they don't want to know, move on and tell somebody else. If they behave like a dog or a pig, then the consequence will be on their own heads. When you pray, he says, by all means continue to pray for people, but be persistent. Go on asking, go on seeking, go on knocking, asking the Heavenly Father who is good to say yes to your prayers. Always live the golden rule. Love your fellow Christians, love your family, love your friends, love your neighbour, love everybody. Treat them as you would like them to treat you. Obey the golden rule. And however you're living, the way you're living will determine whether you're on the narrow road or on the broad road, whether you're on the way to life or the way to destruction. And as we come to the end of this sermon next time, May God have mercy upon us all that we all may, may trust in Christ alone for our salvation at the end of that narrow road when we come to his great judgment throne. Amen. God bless you all. Mm -hmm.